Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mulio Gabaza, and for today, we are going to be um, getting into a conversation, um, you know, that I've been looking forward to for some time, and uh, that's around uh, banking technology and technology investment. It's something that we've explored, um, you know, quite a bit on this platform. I remember we had uh, the head of uh, IBM in South Africa talking to us about um, you know what is it like you know to service uh, the banking sector as a large technology player we've had um, you know people from uh, Accenture giving us their thoughts on digital transformation in the sector but for today we decided to go inside uh, the industry and actually talk to someone um, from uh, one of the country and the continent's biggest bank now uh, that is Standard Bank and understand um, you know a little bit around you know how they see things from that point of view. To help us unpack all this, we are joined by Belinda Ratogwa, and uh, she's going to be giving us some insight um, into all of this. Belinda, greetings to you today. Hi, Mudiwa. How are you doing? Um, no, so thank you so much, uh, you know, Belinda, for being with us for today. You know, usually we begin uh, by asking, uh, you know, about a person's organization. But Standard Bank is one of those, um, you know, that is one of the country's big four banks. So there's no need to get into what is uh, Standard Bank, but rather uh, maybe you could give us some insight into your particular role and what you are looking after, um, you know, at the Blue Bank. Well, thank you for having me today, Mudiwa. Um, yes, I am from the Blue Bank. I look after digital platforms for personal clients. So that includes internet banking, the mobile banking app, cell phone banking, and all other platforms in between. It's really all about enabling our clients to get real-life solutions to day-to-day problems anywhere, anytime. So when it comes to, you know, something like that, um, what does that mean in a standard bank sense? And the reason I say that is because, um, you know, a lot of the terms that you've just mentioned, uh, different organizations tend to, you know, define them, you know, in different ways. Uh, what do you specifically, you know, look at, um, you know, when, when, when we're using those terms as standard bank? Sure. I think when we mean, when we say digital platforms in Standard Bank, we're really referring to any interaction point that is enabled by the internet, right? Because that's where we are now in the fourth industrial revolution. So we enable interactions with our clients through the internet. Our main platforms that clients will interact with us on a day-to-day basis would be the Standard Bank banking app. And of course, uh, Standard Bank Internet Banking. And for those that don't want to use the banking app or internet banking, they use cell phone banking, which they access by dialing star one two zero star two three four five hash uh, from their feature phone. Okay, cool. So I think that gives us a little bit of insight into you know what that is and what that uh, you know actually means. And with that in mind, then right. Um, I think it's a good jumping off point to to ask the question. Uh, we I asked this question to um, someone from uh, Accenture, 
uh, a few months ago who was on this platform. Uh, he's a financial services, uh, he's a financial ex- uh, services expert, and he was giving us his view. It was an industry point of view. And I remember at the time, the question I asked him is, why do we talk so much about digital transformation when it comes to an industry such as banking? And I, And the reason I asked that is because Technology is literally at the heart of banking, you know, whether we're talking credit, whether we're talking, um, you know, deposits, collections, whatever it is, you know, technology has always, you know, at least for the last 30 to 40 years, uh, technology has been at the heart of banking and how we do banking and banking systems. So what do we mean by digital transformation in a industry? Um, or in an organization like Standard Bank that already uses so much technology. Uh, because I think a lot of the time, the way that it tends to be framed is when we talk digital transformation, people think we are trying to digitize a particular process or trying to digitize an organization. But um, in essence, banking is already you know technology enabled. Yeah, sure. That is a... There's, there's quite a lot of nuance in how people think about digital transformation. From our end, when we think about digital transformation, we are not just talking about the use of technology, because as you rightly pointed out, the financial services industry has been using technology for decades. And we need to do that because we need to be able to process transactions at scale, millions and millions of transactions very quickly and in a way that is secure and reliable. And technology is very, very handy in enabling us to do that. For us, digital transformation is really taking advantage of all of the technology advancements that have come forth. If you think about cloud computing, if you think about data analytics, having much more information that helps us know our clients better. And of course, the digital platforms themselves, taking all of those technology advances to really enhance the way we interact with our clients. At the heart of it, it's about how we interact with our clients and how we evolve that to become better and better. So it's not just about the technology, but how it enables us to build and deepen relationships with our clients. I don't know if that addresses it, Mudiwa. Um, it certainly does address, uh, I guess, a, a piece of it. Um, and the reason I say a piece of it is because um, I like the fact that you are bringing in some of the, can I call them, you know, some of the more current, you know, types of technology trends, um, you know, that are shaping the current, uh, you know, business landscape every day and consumer environment, such as, um, you know, the cloud computing that you alluded to just now. Um, because that shows where we are and what needs to be implemented to continue uh, to operate at the scales, you know, that, you know, financial services and, um, you know, the likes of Standard Bank are operating at. And with that in mind, um, the reason why I was I decided let's start at that point is because mm-hmm. so much is said about legacy when it comes to the banking system and technology and all that. Um, And I guess 
one then wonders okay fine we've been using technology for a long time um we are implementing current technologies you know why is the legacy piece you know such a big conversation you know across the sector let's start by what is legacy uh, and we're not talking about the kind where you leave something great to those that come after you <laughs> but we're talking about legacy related to technology the way we conceive it is legacy is software that has been superseded you know software that was great at a point in time but there is more recent software that supersedes it however it is difficult to replace because it is so widely used in an organization those are the two components that make up a legacy system right it is older but it is also widely used. The reason why it's such a pertinent discussion is because it is widely used. So for you to replace a legacy system, you have to go into the business and look at all areas where it is used and work out how do you then evolve that to make use of more recent technology. And when it comes to something like that, uh, I like the explanation that you know that you've that you've uh, given of what legacy is. Um, you know, part of my understanding is the fact that uh, you know, core to a lot of banking systems, um, you know, in South Africa and around the world, are certain technologies. Um, you know that have existed for a number of uh, a number of years. As I said at the beginning, you know we once uh, had the team from IBM on this platform, and they were telling us mm. about some of the systems um, you, that they created in the late seventies into the early eighties uh, that are still sure. in existence in certain parts of the financial services sector. Yeah, uh, you know, to this day, and uh, yes, you know, sometimes you adopt a attitude of if it ain't broke, you know, why fix it? Uh, but you know, fortunately, unfortunately, there tend to literally be two or three people, um, you know, around the entire country that actually still remember how some of those things were even architected and how they even function, how they integrate, um, and even work, you know, with some of these things. Uh, are we understanding that piece of the equation correctly? Absolutely. We are on the same page around that. I think it's it's about the complexity that comes with replacing a legacy system. I, I, I don't think anyone in this world would want to hold on to all technology for the sake of it. I think the key challenge comes in assessing the effort and the risk required to take this thing that is so widely used, that is so core to the business, and replace it with something more current definitely have to take a considered approach. And I see that in the financial services industry, many banks, not just ours, are making inroads in doing that. Um, curious on that front, right? Is this something that is, I, 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 because it's something that a lot of financial institutions are, um, I guess, saddled with, is this something that is being invested and investigated, I guess, on an organization level? Um, or is this something that across the board um, is something that uh, is a 
affecting you know all major players in the sector i think you know maybe that understanding because i guess from the outside you might think that perhaps some institutions are perhaps more advanced in their technology than others um, but you know perhaps it may be true that yes you know some people might give off that image but at the base everyone is still struggling with the same legacy mm. look i i can't offer a reliable industry source that that would allow me to speak on behalf of others but what i can certainly say is when you talk digital transformation it's about integrating newer technology into all areas of business so if you use that as a springboard to the conversation about legacy systems these systems would be embedded in all areas of the business right and it's not one system you you made reference to an architecture earlier on an architecture essentially is a landscape of many different systems with different purposes that work together to create an experience for a client now many systems in that landscape could be legacy many could be new and current right so when you address legacy it is not a once off approach it's an ongoing approach if you think about us i mean we we're, we're more than 160 years old we we've been doing banking for a number of decades and there would be systems and processes that were developed you know way back then and that today we could do differently given the the advent in in technology enhancements so we really need to take a considered approach through each process and each system to say if you have a system that performs x function in this business is this still appropriate is it still fit for purpose does it need to be enhanced does it need to be upgraded and if it does then you take an iterative approach to that because these systems are so embedded in all areas of business i'm going to draw a an analogy uh, belinda and you can um you can tell me whether i am i am on the right path or whether you know i i need to go back to the drawing board here because in in this conversation you're the expert and i'm i'm the student you know in this particular particular situation um having explored and you know studied this uh, this issue from a number of angles i like to think of um banking systems like any other set of corporate systems like uh like uh, like a jenga tower right mm-hmm. um if you take if you take the because what tends to happen with uh, how systems are architected is that you are continuously improving and building on a system uh but um in certain cases you can you can create new systems um you know to replace old ones run them in parallel you know whilst you are moving things to the new one and then you can then switch something off and you know your 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 your, your jenga tower stays in place in certain cases if you try to switch off um you know certain systems certain technologies because they're so embedded and um you know part um of uh, you know so many different parts of a bank you know, to the example that you gave earlier on if you take 
or you know that piece out you sort of the house cr- <laughs> the, the 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 tower crumbles you know it falls <laughs> down it sort of crashes um so with with my example in mind one of the things i've always been curious about is is it not possible especially for some of the core systems to create something in parallel um and then over time you slowly you know move over the 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 current stuff and you know some of the older stuff you know to that new parallel structure you sort of run these parallel structures for a little bit of time and you know you slowly start switching off um you know parts of the old system until the old thing is completely done sounds a little uh, sounds uh, you know quite simplistic i know but you know maybe you know cuz i cuz i heard you giggling a little bit so i'm sure you you have something to say there absolutely i think i must start by saying you know I, at this point i would have loved to call a friend i would have loved to to actually have this conversation <laughs> with my engineering head who is my partner in 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 the work that we do day to day but i'll do my best to to represent our thinking as as a team you put forth the analogy of a jenga tower um and i have different thoughts about that because a jenga tower collapses <laughs> When you remove enough blocks from the tower, it collapses. Um, I would like to think of architecture more as a as a puzzle with different pieces that come together to create a firm picture. If you remove a piece from the puzzle, the puzzle doesn't fall apart, but it may miss certain things. Um, and so I, I just wanted to create that distinction to say it's not necessarily a hierarchical relationship that these systems have with one another, but they certainly work together. On your reference to the approach to replacing a legacy system, absolutely, that is actually common practice to, to build a new system alongside it. Well, sometimes it's built. Sometimes it's by, right? Because we've got quite a lot of fintechs that are developing technologies that can be helpful in the financial services sector. So whether you're building or buying, you develop a new system alongside an old one and you make sure that it is thoroughly tested and it can cater for all of the different use cases that we're able to cater for. And once you're satisfied that the new system performs as expected, then you can go on a path to decommission the old system. That is quite a common approach, um, not just in banking. And in fact, I think in most companies that that use technology. So when when someone then is sitting um, and listening to us talking, um, one of the things that then comes to the fore is always uh, why are these systems in place? But I think you've uh, you know articulated it quite well that there's a lot of complexity. Um, you know when something is so widely used, um, and mm. uh, you know when something is so embedded. But there is something that uh, you know I was uh, I was discussing, and you know in a presentation the other day, and I found it very interesting. And and the thought was, in certain cases, as much as you might want to switch over to a new technology, and you might be fighting legacy, um, you know, one then wonders, you know, is it even worth it? 
getting rid of the legacy. Uh, we understand the problems, but the fact that the legacy still exists and is still so widely used, um, even if it's for practical purposes, is there really a want to get rid of those systems or, you know, do we just, you know, keep, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You've got the old car, you keep servicing it, you make sure that's got the tires and the engines and the what, what, um, instead of uh, getting rid of it. And I remember the one thinking that someone had, this was a cybersecurity expert, and they said, yeah, well, depending on, you know, um, your views, um, this was a cybersecurity guy who said, well, some banks uh, mm -hmm. um, in other parts of the world have decided to hold on to old systems simply because those old systems have proven, because they're so old, they're just harder to hack, um, you know, than some of the new systems. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think when you're considering whether or not to replace a legacy system, it's absolutely a trade-off between the effort required to replace the system and the opportunity cost of not replacing it, right? It's easy to, to get into a false sense of security. I have my old car. I've kept it serviced. It runs just fine until you need to drive faster or further, and then your <laughs> car is no longer fit for purpose. The industry that we operate in is highly competitive. Um, and also business models are changing, right? The way we do business today is very different to how we did business 160 years ago. And so we need to make sure that the systems that support the business are fit for purpose in the current context. If you just think about scale, you know, the number of banking transactions that are done today, and Black Friday is coming, it is orders of magnitude larger than what you would have seen a few decades ago. So the evaluation here would be, if we stay on this legacy system, can we still offer our clients the things that really matter to them? Can we still create the experiences our clients expect? Can we still work with our partners to evolve our business models and innovate? And can we still handle business at scale? Um, if you can do that, well, then perhaps you don't have as much pressure to change. But if you find that you're unable to execute your business strategy with the legacy system in place, then it's time to give serious thought to change. Doesn't mean it'll be easy, but systems must support business strategy. And so that's how the evaluation needs to go, according to my view. Now, Belinda, I just want to switch over to the current, you know, situation that we're in. I think we've spent quite a bit of time articulating um, the legacy issue and just understanding some of uh, the thinking, um, you know, around that and why we find ourselves in that uh, particular space and that particular place. And to draw on your example, or um, you know, off the car, you know, now you want to go faster. Um, the business is 
scaling, you know, um, the bank is introducing more products. Um, it's an increasingly competitive environment, um, you know, like you said earlier on, and you have to keep up and make sure uh, that you are in a good place, um, you know, currently and going forward. But I wanted to then ask um, around the future proofing, you know, question. And I wanted to maybe get a little bit philosoph uh, philosophical here to get your thoughts around an approach, right? Is the approach to look at investing in systems that you know you're going to have for a long time? Because in essence, um, that's where we kind of find ourselves where certain systems have proven to be so good that they're still a thing today, um, you know, whether we like it or not. Uh, they're, they're still functioning. They're still ticking along. They're still doing what they do. So, you know, someone would say that whatever was done in the 80s, the 70s, whenever it was, you know, kudos to them. But, you know, when when someone is then sitting in 2023 looking at the next 20, 30, 40 years, do you invest in systems that you think are going to be around for such a time? Or do you maybe re-engineer your architecture to make sure that you will be able to move uh, to 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 swap in and out uh the puzzle pieces that you spoke about earlier on um in such a way to keep up um you know with the pacing with of technology as and when um you know you need to you know upgrade going forward so instead of um investing in a particular system for years and years you say this is what we need for now and if we need to quickly upgrade it in future our architecture such that we can easily do that yeah uh, i like that you say future proofing because it then presupposes that you have a good understanding of the future you are catering for one thing we do know about the future is that change is exponential you know uh, it, it makes me think of Moore's law that, that says processing power increases every 18 months or thereabouts. If you think about it, wasn't that long ago where a desktop was the most common way of engaging a computer. But now you've got something that fits in your pocket called a smartphone, which is essentially a computer. It has changed so much and it continues to change. Um, and if you think about, again, you know, the, the different revolutions that we've gone through, I was actually reading a bit of history the other time, the periods between the first and the second, the second and the third, were about 100 years or so. But coming to the fourth industrial revolution, that period has gotten shorter. I think it was in the region of 30 to 40 years, if, if I stand to be corrected. But the point I'm making through this is the future guarantees us exponential change. That is one important characteristic of the future. That comes with a level of uncertainty around what will we be doing 50, 60 years from now? What will we need 50, 60 years from now? That's something that you can't easily answer without a glass ball, right? So if you are to future-proof your organization, <laughs> the thing to consider is, how do I make it easy for the organization to change when it is required to change? So rather than choosing a system and saying, 
we're going to have this for the next 20, 30 years. It's, you know, it sounds like that argument of buy a really good jacket and you can wear it for a long time. I think that logic wouldn't quite work because when the future changes, you will be called to change. So future proofing for me is create an architecture that enables you to change at speed. And that is really the key. Okay. And what do you think we can, you know, on that front, because, um, you know, we're talking about that architecture, we're talking about staying nimble, we're talking about, you know, scaling, what type of lessons do you think, um, quote unquote, traditional financial services can learn? Um, you know, from the fintech industry, because we've seen that, uh, you know, the fintech industries have come in, uh, fintech players rather, have actually come in and uh, been able to achieve, you know, quite a bit of growth in, in different areas of the financial services pie and have been able to scale quite quickly, um, you know, in a, in a number of different respects. Yeah. I think one of the things that I really take as a lesson from not just fintech, but also big tech, you would have seen a couple of years ago, we went out with an announcement on how we're partnering with Amazon to accelerate cloud migration. But part of that is, you know, development of APIs. That's what we can learn from from big tech. Moving from, you know, mainframe type systems, monolithic systems, to components that you can switch out when you need. That's essentially what an API gives you in layman's language, right? The ability to remove, replace, or even add components on the go. So I think a component-based architecture, if I can call it that, is something I can take away from technology companies. But coming back to the reason we exist, we exist for our clients and we exist to make sure that we're solving problems for clients. And one lesson I take away from, you know, technology companies that are innovating is really being client led. So taking the time to understand what problems are they addressing for clients now and what problems are they likely to address in future? Because that then informs what technology and architectures they need to have in place to be able to respond to those client needs. The ethos of continuous improvement, you know, we talk about the lean agile approach. You start small and you iterate towards the thing you're working on. That allows you to get early feedback from clients, to test ideas. And if it doesn't work, you know, try something else that works. Um, and continuously improve that based on client feedback and, and how you see it working. That kind of an approach gives you a faster time to market. It gives you the ability to adapt as the market switches and changes, right? And of course, then the other thing is a collaborative approach. Uh, we can definitely learn from that. In the banking industry, we are governed by regulation that makes sure that there's certain things that are competitive and other things that we can collaborate on. And so we've taken an approach of where it applies, collaborate with technology companies to be able to ensure that our systems are, you know, meeting their fit for purpose, if I can put it that way. So those are the lessons. Being client-led, agile, lean approach, continuous improvement, 
and collaborate with others that have skills and capabilities that can help you achieve your strategic goals. Yeah, that uh, that collaboration piece is, you know, certainly certainly important. And, you know, um, I think we actually have seen quite a bit of collaboration between some of the uh, older players in the sector and some of the newer players, you know, so it's good to see that, um, you know, we are having those types of integrations um, that are happening. But before we let you go, Belinda, maybe we can flip the script a little bit because a lot of the time uh, there is that view, you know, to say that, oh, there's all this stuff that um, the traditional industry can learn from new fintech players. But uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, the likes of Standard Bank, uh, to your earlier point, have been around uh, for over 100 years, you know, mm. meaning that you guys are doing something, right? Yeah. Um, you know, what do you think the fintech industry can learn, you know, from, uh, you know, what are considered the more, quote unquote, uh, traditional players? If I can be a little bit tongue-in-cheek um, with you, it's how to maintain a very, very, very long-term relationship with clients. <laughs> you know, we've been doing business for well over 100 years, and we've we've really appreciated our clients sticking with us and growing with us. There is something to be said about that because it means a deep understanding of clients in the long term. It's not at product level, but it's understanding the client through each life stage. That's something that we really value and hold core for us. Um, the other thing is, of course, you know, risk management is key. Uh, in this world of technology, you spoke about chatting to a cybersecurity expert. There are many risks out there. And you have to really hold your head above water and fully understand how to manage risk and manage it well to keep your clients safe so that clients can trust that when they take up your service, they will be able to get what they expect and they will be secure. So for us, I think risk management and maintaining relationships with clients over the long period, I think that's something that we can, we can share. No, we it's certainly uh, certainly a big one that uh, you know that relationship um, with clients that deep um, understanding of customers you know those are the words of mm. uh, Belinda Ratogwa uh, from Standard Bank giving us uh, insight um, into what um, some of the thinking in the industry is around the digital transformation defining you know what digital transformation is and I like the fact that she mentioned. Um, the fact at the beginning of the conversation to say um, that a an industry like financial services, banking in particular, has been using technology for decades. Right now, when we talk about digital transformation, what we're talking about is how do we make sure uh, that the technology that is being used is kept current? And how do you then make sure that uh, the technology that's being used is done in such a way um, that it it can cope with um, what is an ever-changing technology landscape because um, 
um, you know, very few of us, if anyone, actually knows what's actually going to happen over the next 10, 20, 30 years time. You need a crystal ball, um, you know, to do something like that. But rather, you can set yourself up to be able to cope, um, you know, with the changes. So architecture and how, you know, some of these systems are integrated uh, becomes a huge issue uh, that uh, has to be has to be dealt with. And then also at the same time, understanding the fact um, that uh, we find ourselves uh, at the precipice of a lot of technology innovation, whether we're talking about cloud computing, whether we're talking about AI, which is um, a conversation I, I still need to have, you know, with Belinda, because everyone and their cat is talking about AI right now. Where does financial services find itself, you know, on that front? Is it even necessary uh, to have an AI strategy or do we let, you know, those that are good at that continue, um, you know, to have that. And I guess that feeds into the point of collaboration because, um, you know, she does say that, um, when it comes to lessons that the traditional sector can learn from some of the new players, collaboration and also, um, you know, keeping current with systems is something uh, that can be taken from uh, that point of view. So that's been it. It has been a really fascinating, informing and uh, stimulating discussion around the technology. Uh, we are only scratching the surface. There's only so, so much uh, that we could probably delve into. So certainly looking forward uh, to engaging with the Belinda you know, once again in future and on an ongoing basis. So Belinda, thank you so much for being with us today. An absolute pleasure, Mudiwa. Thank you for having me. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us and the rest of the team it is good evening good afternoon and good morning